Today is Trinity Sunday, and a lot of times we focus on the mystery of the Trinity, the mathematical mystery of the Trinity. How can one be three and three be one? And, um, and that's okay to focus on, on that aspect of it. And of course, the early church worked that out. And uh, the creeds that we recite are a product of the early church working out the, the concept that God is one in terms of His nature. He is divine. And the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all equally and fully divine. But they are three in terms of their relationship with one another. But I like to focus not so much on the math of it, um, but what it tells us about the nature of God. The doctrine of the Trinity is really a description of who God is. God is love. God has existed in this Trinitarian relationship of love, and he invites us into that relationship. And so it's a description of who God is and what God has done for us. The pattern of God's salvation that we see in the Bible unfolding and most clearly in the New Testament. And our Gospel reading is a great example of that. You see a Trinitarian pattern of salvation in this famous chapter, John chapter 3. God, the Father, sends the Son. God so loved the world that He gave. So that's the Father's role in this narrative of sending the Son. The Son is lifted up. Remember at the end, he says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man, referring to himself, must be lifted up. And those who believe in the Son who's lifted up on the cross will have eternal life. So the Father gives the Son. The Son gives his life for the redemption of the world. And then the Spirit is given to us to give us the new birth. Cannot be born again, Jesus teaches here apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not flesh that inherits the kingdom of God. In other words, it's not your background, he's saying to Nicodemus, the great Jewish teacher. It's not your heritage. It's not your status. It's not your position. It's not even the ability to rationalize it or intellectualize your way into the kingdom of God, although reason's obviously important to have reasons to understand. But... To be in the kingdom of God is a miracle that happens when the Holy Spirit gets into your mind, softens your heart, and you can see the Son of Man lifted up on the cross and say, He's for me. I need what Jesus has to offer. That is a work of grace. That is a work of the Holy Spirit. So, uh, John 3 is about seeing that the, John 3 tells us this Trinitarian pattern of salvation. Father gives the Son. The Son gives His life. The Spirit gives new life. The Spirit creates the new birth in us. So the doctrine of the Trinity is about the work of God. Uh, It's about the nature of God and the work of God that we see uh, see revealed in Scripture. And that's what I want to focus on today. Uh, One aspect of the work of the triune God and uh, look particularly at the work of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Now, last week was Pentecost Sunday and we talked about the work of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says in John 16, that's what we keyed in last week, um, keyed on Jesus' words, that the Holy Spirit would be the helper for the disciples to witness to who Christ is. 
Remember, Jesus described the Holy Spirit as the helper, the paraclete, the one who comes alongside of you as you move out in witness and testimony to Jesus. The Holy Spirit will be there to do the convicting work. Um, And so this week we see another description of the work of the Holy Spirit in the Apostle Paul's writing in Romans 8. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of adoption. And that's what I want to get to uh, today. took a while to get there, but we're there now. Spirit of adoption. We have people in our church who um, have been adopted, who were adopted as children. We have people in our church who adopted children. We have people in our church who've been to orphanages where children are waiting adoption. About three or four years ago, it's been since I was in Haiti and we saw children there in the orphanage in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, waiting to be adopted. And adoption is... At the heart of it is an act of love. The parents aren't obligated to adopt children. It's, a, it's an act of love uh, to bring these children who are fatherless, motherless, into a family. It's an act of love. And, and that's how it is with our adoption into Christ. It is God reaching out in love. He's not obligated to adopt us, but out of love and mercy, he brings us into the family of God. So adoption is about an act of love and it's, and, and it's transformative, isn't it? For the child who's been brought into a family, a child without parents, to be brought into a good family, a loving family, and then to be given opportunities that they never would have had otherwise. Those children that are adopted from Haiti and brought to the United States, uh, their, their life is completely changed, the whole course and direction of their life, because they were adopted by loving parents. And so Paul uses this image of adoption to talk about the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. And what I want to do in this passage is talk about three aspects of the transforming work of the spirit of adoption here. Okay, the spirit gives us a new way of living that we would never have had if we were not adopted. New way of life, a new relationship with God, and then a new hope. And so let's look at this passage. If you have your bulletin, I think you would find it helpful to just keep that in front of you. Be better to have a Bible because I'm going to refer to a couple other uh, places in Scripture. We'll just go through this passage. But let's look at the transformative work of the Holy Spirit, the spirit of adoption, in terms of giving us a new life, a new way of living. Look at what he says in verse 12. So then, brothers, or brothers and sisters, we could say, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. I want to just take that first verse for a moment, this concept of being a debtor. You know, when you are in debt, you are under obligation. Uh, You have to pay back the debt. For those of us who unfortunately have debt, like a student loan or a car loan or a mortgage, we have to continue to service that debt. Month after month, the bill doesn't stop until it's paid off. So it forces you, it puts you under obligation to act. And uh, Paul is saying If you have the spirit of adoption as a Christian, you are not under obligation to act according to what? The flesh. The flesh is sinful humanity. 
The flesh is, is, is unredeemed mankind. And, uh, and Paul is saying that if you have the spirit of adoption, you've been set on a new course of life. You don't have to give service to the flesh. You're not under obligation. You're, the, the flesh is not, doesn't need to be in control of your life. Now, um, it sounds kind of abstract, but this concept of the flesh, but let's look at what Paul says about the flesh. He, he uh, I was about to say, uh, now I'm going to say it. He fleshes out this concept. Uh, sorry about that. In Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. This is sort of a partial catalog here of the works of the flesh. And as I read this, um, just think of, does any of this sound familiar? (laughs) Do you see this showing up anywhere in our culture? Do you see any of these works of the flesh showing up in your own heart? Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Galatians 5.19 Sexual immorality, impurity, and sensuality. So the first three are about the sexual life. The next two are about substituting God for something else. Looking for another source of spiritual power other than God. Idolatry and sorcery. The next list is really about relationships with other people. This is what relationships look like when they're ruled by the flesh. Whether it's in the family or in the church or in work, this is what it looks like when the flesh is in control. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, fits of anger, rivalry, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, carousing, or orgies, and, he says, things like these. Does any of that sound familiar? What would, what would, that, this is the plot line of TV and movies. I mean, without this, there would be no hardly uh, TV or movies. And it's something that we have to wrestle with in our own hearts because we still live in the flesh But Paul is saying here, if you have been brought into the kingdom of God through adoption, you're not obligated to live this way. You have been set free. You, child of God, are not powerless. You don't have to be controlled by sin. It's not about perfection. Paul's not talking about perfection here because before Romans 8, we have Romans 7, which is, I don't do what I want to do. I don't do the good that I want to do but I always do the evil that I find at hand. Who is going to rescue me out of this dilemma? Paul is a realist. He understands the wrestling with the flesh and the sinful impulses. But then he gets to Romans 8 and he says it's not hopeless. There's victory in Christ. There's the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is a a progress that we make and we have to continue to to make until we get to heaven, this battle against the flesh. But he's saying you're not in debt. This is not who you are as a child of God to be controlled by these things. You will make progress as you work with the Holy Spirit to put to death the deeds of the body. Verse 13. I heard somebody say, I think this is a quote from an old Puritan, Christ did not die on the cross all at once and a Christian does not die to sin all at once. 
but we can, by the power of the Holy Spirit, put to death the works of the flesh. The, 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 the flesh can, can have less control in our life. So I just wonder, as I read that list in Galatians chapter 5 of the works of the flesh, do you see anything like that in your life, creeping up in your life that needs to be pruned away by the power of the Holy Spirit? Fits of anger, jealousy, envy, drunkenness, sensuality. Anything like that in your heart, in your mind. If you're a child of God, what Paul's teaching here, that does not have to be in control. There's another power. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. You can avail yourself of that power. You can walk in increasing freedom. Not perfection, but making progress. It's about claiming our identity as sons and daughters of God and saying, this is who I am. This is how I'm going to live with God's help in the power of the Spirit. I heard a really nice illustration of this by another preacher one time talking about living out your identity as a child of God. Be who you are as a child of God. He referred to this movie, Blood Diamonds. And in that movie, there's a young boy who at um, at a very early age is taken by terrorists. He's living in Africa. And these terrorists uh, tortured him and brainwashed him and turned him to a, a, a cold-blooded killer. And unfortunately, of course, this is still going on today. He became a child soldier. Well, through circumstances, he ended up, this terrorist group that he was a part of, he ended up back into his home village, back in his home village, and was attacking the village, and he came to his father's house. And his father came out and he saw his son, Dia, there. And he said, Dia, my son, this is not who you are. I know they made you do bad things, but you are not a bad boy. You are my son. And you're going to come home and you're going to live with me because you're not theirs. You're mine. You're my son. And that's what God says to us through the spirit of adoption. You don't belong to the world. You don't belong to the flesh. You are mine. You can live in the strength and power of the Holy Spirit. You can see progress in your life as you avail yourself of the power of the Holy Spirit. So we can live a different way because we've been adopted. And then we can have, and this gets really to the heart of it, we can have a different relationship with God than, than many people have who are not part of the kingdom of God. He says in verse 15, he talks about in verse 15 and uh, 16, this relationship that we have with God. It's not a relationship of fear. For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Paul is contrasting two attitudes, two ways of relating to God. One is the the cringing fear of a slave towards his master. Do you ever have a boss that you feared more than loved or appreciated? My very first boss, my first job, 16 years old, in a grocery store. And the, 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 the owner was my boss. And he was, unfortunately, uh, an angry man. And just walked around with a, a scowl on his face. That was just how he looked. And he always caught me 
uh, you always seemed to come onto the scene right when I was screwing up. You know, I was the the the, the groceries were breaking out of the bag or something, and there he would show up and with his scowl. And I feared him. I didn't really want him to be. It was always a relief. All the employees were. It was like a sigh of relief when he walked out of the uh, out of the front of the grocery store and went home for the day. Ah, we're not under that scrutiny, and we're not fearful anymore. And some people relate to God that way. God of fear, cringing relationship, or God who is distant and cold. Maybe he's the man upstairs, but he's. Not somebody that I relate to and trust on a, on a daily basis and have a relationship with. And, and Paul is saying that is not the relationship that we've been given through Christ and through the Spirit. We have a spirit of adoption in us through the Spirit. We can cry out as, God, as Christ did, Abba, Father. And you know that's an Aramaic word for Father, and that was a common word in the home. Little boys and little girls would get on their dad's lap and look in in the eyes and say, Abba, Father. And Jesus is saying, I'm inviting my followers into a relationship uh, with God like that. And that's such a a great identity to have. That's such a solid identity. Um, for, For example, a young person who struggles with that question, teenagers, who am I? Who am I? Well, if you know that I am a son of God, a daughter of God, that gives you a foundation, a bedrock identity to to weather peer pressure and destructive behaviors and charts a course for your life. I am a child of God, a young person, a young adult who's experienced this, what Paul is talking about here, the spirit bearing witness to their spirit will have a core identity, a moral core, a convictional core for their life. And they can build a life then based on the grace of God and build a life that is life-giving for others. They can resist the, the stream of the world, the influence of the flesh, if they understand this is who I am. An older adult, an aging adult who knows God like this. God is my Abba Father. God is my source of security. God is my rock. Will be able to Approach the end of life in childlike trust and faith that God is good and I'm going to trust Him for the days ahead and I'm going to trust Him for the valley that's ahead and know that He's my Abba Father and He's promised me good things. And so this is what Paul is is saying is the experience of a Christian through the work of the Spirit. They've been adopted into the family of God. I, I like the illustration that Martin Lloyd-Jones, um, another preacher, gave. And I think I've shared this once, maybe twice. This might be the third time I've shared this. But I love it so much. And uh, you can tell me after church, no more of that. We've, we've got it for a couple of years. But, um, but I just love this description that Martin Lloyd-Jones gave of the work of the Spirit in this regard. He talks about a little boy walking with his father down the street. And the little boy knows that his son loves him. They're holding hands. They're walking down the street. The little boy is secure in the love of his father. He rejoices in it. He's confident in it. But then the the father stops and he picks up his son and he hugs him and he kisses him and he showers him with love. And he says, you're my son. I love you. And he sets him down again and they hold hands and they walk down the sidewalk again together. And Lloyd-Jones says the work of the Spirit is like 
this unusual manifestation of love. Now the son, he knew before that he was the father's son, but now he knows more than just head knowledge. There's something stirring in his heart that he knows he belongs to the father. The father loves him. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's more than just head knowledge. It's an experience of the love of God. Paul says it in Romans 5, 5, that the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And if you've experienced that, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And it's very hard to to describe the work of the Spirit in that way. But it is, as Paul says, the Spirit, the deep core of us, witnessing to our our Spirit. The, the, the Holy Spirit witnessing to our Spirit, the deep core of who we are. I belong to God. I belong to God. That's my identity. And that's available to any child of God, to know that, not just head knowledge, but to know it in the heart. I encourage you to ask God for a deeper revelation of this. I'm God's son. I'm God's daughter. Ask the Holy Spirit to do that work of adoption in your life. Fresh work of adoption in your life. Okay, so we have a new way of living. We have a new relationship with God. He's our Abba Father. And then very quickly, uh, a new hope. A new hope. A hope for the future. A hope that outlasts life. An inheritance that's coming. You see that in verse 17? If we're children, then we're heirs. It's good news to be an heir, isn't it? It's good news to find out, hey, you've, you've got an inheritance. There's somebody in our church who a couple of months ago found out that there was um, a great aunt somewhere in rural, in the rural Midwest, a school teacher who never married, and she'd been saving up her money, and he was on the list, and she had some money, and he was on the list. He never even met her, <laughs> and he got a letter, you're an heir. That was good news for him. It's good news to know that you're an heir. But it's better news to know that you're an heir of God and fellow heir with Jesus Christ. Verse 17. We have an inheritance coming. And then here's the part we don't like. Provided we suffer with Him. See, we go through the cross to get to the other side and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul's a realist. That suffering is part of the Christian life, but the hope that we have in the midst of suffering is that we're heirs. That something better is coming. We suffer with Him in order that we might be glorified with Him. There is going to be an experience of glory in heaven that we can't even imagine right now. But we get a little appetizer of it here on earth. We get a little foretaste of the goodness and glory of God to sustain us through the difficult times. If you've experienced something of the love, the presence and the power of God in your life, that's an appetizer of the greater feast to come. If you've been on the receiving end of the love of the body of Christ, acts of love, and somebody has reached out to you and shown you kindness and love, that's a foretaste of the love of God that's going to come in a full and final, complete way in heaven. Maybe not final. I don't like that. I think it's going to be expansive throughout eternity. It's going to be infinite. So we'll get there and we'll sit down at the feast and we won't. And it'll be just the beginning. I think this is pretty exciting. I think this should fill us with hope in the midst of suffering. In fact, that's what where Paul goes in the next part of Romans 8. What, what a beautiful chapter. 
But in verse 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time, whatever suffering that is, are not worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed to us. So the scale doesn't even balance. It's going to far outweigh. The suffering is down here. The glory is off the scale. So that's the hope that we have. That's the inheritance that we have. And it's been given to us through adoption. An act of God's love and mercy reaching out to us. It's not something we have conjured up. It's something we receive as a gift. As we look to Jesus Christ, we become co-heirs with Him. A new um, way to live. A new relationship with God. And a great hope. The spirit of adoption. Let's pray.